Well, it's certainly a joy to be here with you this morning. I'm uh, Daryl, the assistant pastor here, and I get the privilege of uh, bringing God's word uh, to us this morning. Uh, thankful that on this Mother's Day we can um, gather and acknowledge uh, that motherhood is tough, I've heard, um, not experienced it, uh, but also knowing that even on, on a day like today, we know there are empty chairs at houses of kids who aren't coming home, and we know that um, there's so many who wish to be moms that aren't, and so our hearts, um, our, our tears are with you uh, this morning, and we hope that uh, even in the midst of all the noise uh, of that this morning, that you can still hear the voice of God who speaks uh, so tenderly uh, and so lovingly to us. And so uh, we're gonna be in Mark chapter nine this morning, uh, starting in verse 14 through the end of the chapter. We've been uh, all spring marching through a series on, uh, on the personhood of Jesus, uh, asking you, uh, to be curious with us as we look and see what God uh, has for us, as we look and see who the person of Jesus was. How did he interact with uh, the rich? How does he interact with the poor? How does he interact with women? How does he interact uh, with the religious elite? How does he interact with those whom the world uh, has sort of cast out? Uh, and we ask that as you uh, go along and are curious with us, that you would see that um, Jesus is uh, unlike anyone else. Uh, and the, the way that Jesus handles himself and that he calls us to, uh, to fall on his grace uh, and, and to plead his blood on our behalf. Uh, and so this morning we come to uh, the curious case of this demon-possessed boy, a good Mother's Day passage. Uh, demon-possessed kids, desperate dads, that whole thing. Um, and so we come to uh, this passage this morning, which is really a story about the desperation of a father, uh, almost as much as it's about uh, the, the condition of this child, but it's also more a story about faith uh, and what God has promised to do and, and what he continues to do for every believer. Uh, it's, a, it's the faith in, in wanting to believe and hoping that our hearts get to the place of believing uh, that God really does hear our prayers, uh, that he really does bend an ear toward us, that we really do have an audience with him. Uh, that's really what this passage is about, that prayer is our greatest weapon uh, in this fight against evil. And often it's easy to forget this. Um, and because prayer is our greatest fight in, uh, in this fight, or, or rather our greatest weapon in this fight against evil, uh, believers are guaranteed. Uh, we're guaranteed that God hears our prayers. Uh, so three things of note in this passage. We have the problem of pain, uh, the persistent parent, and the power of prayer. And so let's take a look at Mark 9 and what God has for us this morning, starting with verse 14 uh, and through, uh, I believe, verse 29. This is the word of the Lord. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about? And someone from the crowd answered, Jesus, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And so I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, "O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? And how long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw him immediately, it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. This is crazy. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. 
It's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, this morning we come, I come, I'll use an I statement. I come to you uh, not, not believing that prayer does what it says it does. Uh, I've had too many got, not get answered the way I want, uh, Lord, and so it, it's hard uh, even to stand here uh, and preach this passage, so I'd ask that you would have mercy on the messenger, you would forgive my sins, uh, you would forgive our sins, uh, that you would keep us from the evil one as we uh, walk through this passage, knowing these are passages that he loves to confuse us and confound us. Uh, Lord, would you, uh, would you be the Prince of Peace that you say that you are? This morning, would you gather your people uh, like a mother hen, uh, hide us under your wings, uh, keep us safe, and we'll leave here rejoicing because of the great things that you have done. That's your name we do pray, amen. I'm not sure if you've ever had uh, this experience of, uh, of something great happening, uh, only to return uh, to the chaos of the real world. This was always prevalent uh, when I was a young life leader, when I was a youth guy, we'd always do these really fun retreats. Um, and then we'd get home and uh, you, you kind of follow up with the kids a couple days later and they're like, well, last week was awesome, uh, but this week I, I smoked six ounces of pot um, and I, I smashed my windows for no reason. You would always run into these ideas of they have these great mountaintop experiences uh, and then you return to the chaos of the real world uh, and it, it sort of lets you down. Uh, if you've ever had that experience, uh, men's retreat, women's retreat, uh, a good weekend away with your spouse to come home to your kids who lit the house on fire. Uh, if you've ever had that experience, uh, Jesus can relate to you. Because what we have in this passage uh, is Jesus coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, um, a climactic moment in the life of Christ. Uh, he has his GPS set toward the cross um, he is experiencing this moment of great intimacy with his father and with his three best friends um, on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's one of two speaking parts uh, that God the Father has in the New Testament. Um, both times that he speaks, he talks about how proud he is of his son. Uh, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Follow him, do what he says. Uh, and so Jesus and, and Peter and James and John have this wonderful experience on this mountaintop and then they're coming down and as they come down the mountain, they hear the grumblings, they hear the complaining, they hear uh, folks fighting, uh, and Jesus says, what is happening here? What are you guys arguing about? Uh, they get to the bottom of the mountain to find uh, that there is a crowd and they are mad as a hornet, and they're sitting there and they're arguing with one another, uh, and Jesus steps into this chaos and he says, what's going on here? What's happening? 
Why, why are you guys arguing? The crowd was arguing. The scribes were there for some reason. There's a man who's there with his son who has a demon. Um, and they're all just being super loud. And so Jesus comes in and he asks what's going on. Uh, this man runs up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I have my son here. I have my son here. He's got some issues. He's got a couple things wrong with him. He foams at the mouth. Uh, he gets thrown into lakes. He gets thrown into fires. Uh, I think he might have a demon. Like, there's something going on here with my son and I need you to heal him. And you can imagine this father, I'm gonna ask you a lot to put your kind of feet in his sandals this morning to, to consider the position that he's in. This guy is desperate. And we're gonna see uh, three things in this passage, as I said earlier. And the first thing that we see in this passage is the problem of pain and how persistent it is. That pain is unrelenting. When we hear this dad talk about what's going on with his son, he says, my, the spirit has my kid. Um, it, it looks like what we would call epilepsy right now, uh, but it's even a little wilder than that. Uh, and my, it has my kid, it tosses him around, he's foaming at the mouth, it's robbed him, Jesus, it's robbed him of a childhood, it's robbed us of, of like a normal family, it's robbed us of, of vacation, it's shot my insurance policy through the roof, like he's getting thrown into fires. Jesus, he has something going on with him and it's just been happening for so long. Jesus, this is, this is it. It's so prevalent, uh, it's so all the time, all the time my son is, is about to die. And Jesus, I heard that your disciples can cast this stuff out. And so I brought him to them. I was looking for you, but you weren't here, but your disciples are here and I thought maybe they could help me and they couldn't cast it out. And now these scribes are yelling at them and my son is just sort of caught in the middle. Jesus, I need you to do something. I need you to do something because the pain is just too much. Jesus, it's too, it's too hard. We've all been there. We know what that's like, right? We know how pain is just unrelenting, how pain doesn't discriminate. Think about this kid, he's just a boy, right? I've never been a demon, despite what my mama said, but there's this, there's this boy who's just, like he's just an innocent kid, and this demon has jumped into him. Like it doesn't discriminate. There's no code of ethics or code of honor among demons. They just infect whoever they want to infect. And they've come to this kid and this dad is, is just here and he's so helpless. Jesus, the panic attacks, the sadness, the hardness, it, the, the helplessness that I feel, it feels so helpless. Pain makes us feel helpless. Evil makes us feel so helpless, helpless to fight against it, powerless to fight against it. It brings you to the end of your rope. We know this, this room's too big for this not to be the, the truth, right? That wave upon wave upon wave, it's always just smacking us in the face, the riptide of darkness and evil and pain, pulling us away from the shore of safety, seizing us in its grasp like it has this boy until you're convinced that there's no way out. Look at the desperation of this father. It just keeps tossing him around. He can't even speak. 
The son's mute, he's deaf, he can't hear. It's just taken him over. Jesus, look what it's done to him. It's like the psalmist. You might, you might say what the psalmist says, that tears are my food day and night, that darkness is my only friend. When we're in the midst of evil and pain and sadness and hardness, that it takes us there and it's so hard to get out. Consider this dad and this boy. What would, have, what would home life have been like for them? If you're like me and you read these stories, you're like, well, it's never been that bad. But for this guy, pain's not hypothetical. And I think you know that pain's not hypothetical. This helplessness has led him to drag his kid out of the house and to go in search of Jesus. Imagine what that road trip would have been like, praying that, that another episode doesn't happen, praying that Jesus will be there only to get there and find that he's not there. Searching for Jesus and finding nothing. That's what this guy gets. He finds the disciples, he hears that they can cast out demons. They've been given that power in Mark chapter six, three chapters before. But even they couldn't do it. And you have to think how helpless this guy would have felt. The whole crowd seeing it, everybody bickering. And then Jesus comes down this mountain. And while the crowd's bickering, you have to know where this father's eyes go. His eyes dart to Jesus, who's coming down this mountain with his three best friends, his face glowing uh, from the transfiguration and how weird that is. We don't have enough time to get into that. Uh, and here is, is Jesus coming down and this dad looks at Jesus and thinks, that's my last hope. Because if he can't do it, then nobody can. If he can't do it, then we'll all get tossed into a fire. We'll all get tossed in the water because that's the only hope that we have. So while this dad was helpless, he certainly wasn't hopeless. While the problem of pain persists, while the problem of pain is non-discriminatory, while it's unrelenting, it stops in one place, and this guy knew it. He knew that it stops in Jesus. And so if the first point is the, the problem of pain, the second point we have for us this morning is the persistence of the parent, the persistent parents. Parents in the room know this, you know that there's nothing you wouldn't do for your kid. Statistically, most of you are gonna end up as parents. There's nothing you won't do for your kid. Uh, and this guy is showing us this. For this dad, he's a good dad. Look what he does. Look what he does in verses uh, 17 and on. That he stops at nothing. He's taking a hold of the Jesus who has taken a hold of him and so many others in a position like this that if Jesus is coming down this mountain and I'm feeling this pain, then I've heard the stories. I've heard of how he heals blind folks. I heard of how he restores uh, the ability to walk to those who, who aren't able to walk. I hear of how he makes people whole. And so as Jesus is coming down, Jesus then steps into this guy's story and says, tell me what you want, man. Like, tell me about this. And the dad is going over and over about all the terrible things that has happened to his son. The desperation of this dad, he knew if he knew nothing else that Jesus helps people like this. Jesus helps the broken. We talked about it in our confessions, right? That Jesus is close to those who are brokenhearted. It's his mission statement, right? He came to bind up the brokenhearted to heal their wounds. 
to make the deaf to hear and the blind to see and the lame to leap. This is what Jesus does. And like a counselor, like a good doctor, Jesus stops for this man. He enters into his pain with him. And he says, how long has this been happening? Tell me, how long has this been happening? And the dad says, far too long. Since his childhood. For so long, he's been tossed in the fires. Jesus, for so long, he's been tossed in the pond. It's tried to kill him. Um, Can you please help us? The cry of this man's heart is for Jesus to help him because it's all he knows to do. Imagine the tears welling up in this man's eyes. Jesus, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I'm tired of my boy suffering. I'm tired of the brokenness of this world that would take a kid and make him crazy. I'm tired, Jesus. Day and night, tears are my food. Day and night, darkness is my only friend. Jesus, I'm so tired. My soul, down in my bones, I'm tired, Jesus. Can you fix him? Lord, I don't have anywhere else to go, right? You can sense this man's desperation. It's like uh, the apostle Peter, uh, when Jesus asked Peter if he too would leave him, and Jesus said, or rather Peter responds to Jesus, Jesus, where else would we go? Only you have the words of life. And this desperate dad is in this spot. He's in this spot. Imagine yourselves, put yourselves there. For some of you, you don't have to imagine this. You're there right now. You need Jesus to sit down with you and ask, how can I help you? And Jesus does this with this man. um, And he says, um, all things are possible for those who believe. And then this man spits out some of the most beautiful words ever uttered in all of scripture. What he says in response to Jesus, this man who has watched this demon make his life a living hell, has said to this man, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus, help me get there. Lord, I believe, I believe you are who you say you are, but I also have some doubt because I've seen too much. I've seen too much. What this man is showing us, what this man has showed me in in this passage as I studied it all week um, is that I've believed far too long in my life that you're not allowed to doubt. I was taught this as a kid. If you have enough faith, then you'll get what you want. But if you have like a little bit of a doubt that you're not gonna get it, then you're not gonna get it. And so you have to have faith, right? I told this all the time, have faith. Hey, just have faith. It'll all work out, have faith. Feeling like I was never allowed to have doubts, but this man shows us, this man blasts this to pieces because he says, Jesus, I believe, could you help my unbelief? Could you help my part of my heart that's not there yet? I want to believe this is true, but I can't. I don't know how. I don't know how because my kid's dying. I don't know how my life is so hard. I don't know how, I don't have the energy. I don't have the energy to figure this out. Like I'm sleepy. I need a nap. I'm hungry. I don't wanna do this. This desperate dad shows us something wonderful that faith and doubt can coexist. And what this dad shows us is something wonderful in that shaky faith 
is still faith. Shaky faith is still faith. Shaky faith might be the only kind of faith there is. That shaky faith is still faith. That you can have strong faith in a very weak object and you'll watch it fail. One of our other pastors told me he's doing like the chair exercise where you like put a chair and you're like, oh, you sat down in that chair because you had faith. I was like, you need to unscrew the legs and then have them sit down in it and then watch it blow apart and show them that their strong faith in a weak chair isn't gonna save them. Also, we might, we might get sued, it's fine. <laughs> but what this man shows us is that even in our moments of our doubts, of our weakest seemingly faith, it's about the object of our faith and not about the quality of our faith. That it's about putting our faith in Jesus and not putting our faith in our faith. Putting faith in our faith is never a wise move. We must have faith in the object of our faith. And for this man, it's Jesus. For us, it's Jesus. Because Jesus is all we have. For this man, Jesus was all he had. Remember his desperate plea. If you can, will you have compassion, Jesus, and help us? Would you just have compassion? Would you just have empathy? Would you just feel something for me, Jesus? And then could you help us? When have your circumstances led you to this type of desperation? Chances are we're always at this type of desperation. We wanna hide it. Jesus says, bring it forward. Bring it to him. For some of us, you haven't lived long enough for your idols to let you down yet but they're going to. Some of you know what that's like. You know exactly what it's like for your idols to let you down. For the thing that you've put all of your love into to not complete you. For the thing that you've put all your love into be taken away. To watch what you've put your, all your love into destroy itself. And Jesus is here and he's asking, where will you turn to compensate for what your idols are not? Where will you turn uh, when all of your idols let you down? And in this man's plea, Jesus takes compassion on him. And then the exorcism takes place. And this must have been such a bizarre scene. Mark writes that the convulsions and the screamings were so loud and wild. And when the demon departed this uh, kid with the command to never enter him again, he appeared as if he were dead. And the crowd even said, he's dead. Jesus took the demon out of him, but Jesus killed him. He's dead, look. Put yourself again in this dad's seat, right? And his sandals. You've now just watched your kid and it looks like he's dead. And then here's Jesus, gentle and lowly. Jesus, kind and compassionate. Jesus, powerful, yes. Jesus, powerful enough to get a demon out of a kid. Jesus, powerful enough to stand on top of a mountain and look God in the face and not be killed. Jesus, powerful enough to part the sea, right? Jesus, powerful enough to calm the sea. Jesus, powerful enough to throw demons into a bunch of pigs like we talked about last week. But kind and compassionate, Jesus takes this kid by the hand and he lifts him up. He lifts him up because Jesus came to save because Jesus is gentle and Jesus is kind and Jesus loves kids and this kid wasn't dead. It's the beauty of this passage of how gentle Jesus is with this man who's hurting. 
and how gentle Jesus is with this kid who has no, he, had, he didn't choose this, right? It just happened to him. And here's Jesus being kind and gentle. And Jesus coming to save. And in reading this passage, it would be easy to see this dad as this faithless warrior who's like, I don't know how my belief, I guess. And not as like a faithful warrior. But Jesus is looking and saying, it doesn't matter how shaky your faith is. It matters that your faith is in him. And then watch what he can do. We have the problem of pain and how persistent it is. We have uh, this, this desperate dad, this persistent parent um, wanting Jesus to heal his son. And then lastly, what we see in this passage is the power of prayer and how powerful it is. And Mark closes out this passage by saying the disciples had gone into a house. Uh, this is in um, verse 29. They entered his house and his disciples started to ask, why could we not cast it out? They begin to ask one another. Uh, it's another scene that you could picture. They go into this house and begin to wonder, I wonder why we couldn't expel that demon. I wonder why we couldn't cast it out. Like he told us that we were able to do this. And then this one comes in and like, we're not powerful enough. Oh, I know what happened. We loosened the demon for Jesus. We loosened the demon pickle jar and then he just comes in and he opens it. That's what, that's what it had to be, right? We had to loosen this demon up and then Jesus just comes in and fixes it. They're sitting there and they're wondering how in the world could we not do this? And Jesus said, some things this kind only comes out through prayer. Which is a bizarre statement. Commentators that I read have speculated on this. We're not sure exactly what Jesus meant other than it comes out through prayer. I guess we could just take him at his word, whatever. But commentators are speculating on this and, and what we think is, what, we, what, they, what we've kind of found was that what has happened here is that the disciples had gotten used to their power. They've, they've done a lot of great stuff. They've been able to cast out demons again and again and again and again. And they do what we do, right? They get used to it. And they stop praying because they rely on their own power to cast out the demons and not on the one who gave them that power. This is what commentators believe. It's likely to, it's, it's not wrong to speculate on that uh, given the insight that we have to the human condition and, and given how well we know ourselves. Because I know for myself, uh, when, I was in, when I was finishing up seminary and my wife was finishing up nursing school and we were living off of 800 bucks a month, we prayed a lot more than we pray right now. We prayed a whole lot more. Uh, when we were trying to have a kid and we weren't able to, we tried for months and months and months and months, and the months turned to years, and the months turned to 18 months. We prayed a lot more then than we do now that we have the kid. This is the human condition, right? We, we're all there. I'm not telling you that to shame you. I'm telling you that to say that your pastor is the first in line. That when it comes to the power of prayer, it's easy to think a huge misconception about the power of prayer is that if we pray it, we get it. This is not true. We've believed it for far too long and I'm so sorry, this is not true. Sometimes it is, it was for this guy. His kid was healed. We see this a lot um, in the gospels that when folks pray for it, they get it. 
And then we have Paul who prayed for this thing to be taken away from him, this thorn in his flesh. God told him no. Jesus himself prays in the garden. Could this cup pass from me? And God says no. I don't know why he says that. I don't know why he acts that way. I don't get paid enough to figure it out. I don't know why he does it. To quote the theologian, theologian Kid Rock, only God knows why he does it. We can't know that. And it's sweet, and the sentiment that even Garth Brooks gives us that some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. This is not true. They don't go unanswered. Maybe he said no. That sucks. It's hard because we so desperately want to believe if I just pray hard enough, he's gonna give me what I want. I had a friend, Jay, who had cancer, ended up killing him. Um, this was years, this was probably 10 years ago or so, I was in seminary. And we gathered the whole campus. We did like a Zoom call before that was cool. Like we had so many people from like all over the globe who were praying over and over. And we had this whole night of prayer. It turned into like a weekend of prayer for Jay uh, that God would heal him of his disease. And my friend Christian got up there. I was like, it's in his name. Like he's gonna be really good at this. Like he's named after Jesus. And he got up there and he prayed the best prayer I've ever heard. I was like, that's a top five prayer. Like it didn't have any ums in it. He quoted scripture. Like he appealed to the Trinity. And it was just like, boom, boom, boom. Like everybody's praying that way. And then Jay died. And I was like, what the hell? Like, was I the weak link? Was I the one who didn't pray hard enough? Like, like, if you didn't hear Christian, who has in his name, with all his great, did my prayer have too many ums? Like, did I not quote enough scripture? Like, why did this happen? And then it was the next Sunday at church, and I'm not gonna make it through this story. It was the next Sunday at church. Um, I was working at a little church in Charlotte, and we're reciting the Apostles' Creed. And we're gonna do that today, and Joseph and I didn't plan this, so Jesus. And we're gonna, we, we're reciting the Apostles' Creed. And it gets to the part where we recite together that I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And my pastor, Jeff, is just a saint of a man. The world doesn't deserve him. He turned and looked at me as we said that, as if to assure me, you'll see Jay again. We have to let our hearts go there. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. That's what confessions do. That's what creed does. That's what liturgies do. That when we're not able to believe it ourselves, we submit ourselves to the Jesus of Scripture who tells us, I will help your unbelief. I'm not gonna answer all your prayers the way you want them answered. But I can promise you I hear them. And isn't that the real power of prayer? Not that we get what we want, but that God hears us. When we look at Revelation 5 and all that's going on in that passage, the apostle John gets to, uh, he gets a kind of a peek into heaven. And in Revelation chapter five, they're standing there and they're chanting, who can open the scrolls? Who can open them? And then John tells us that heaven falls silent because nobody can open them. And John begins to weep. 
And then he tells us one of the elders leans over and, and whispers to him, don't weep, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he can open the scrolls. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he can end the suffering. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he's the one who can come and make all this right. And then a lamb walks in as if it had been slaughtered. And all of heaven says he is worthy to open the scrolls. He is worthy to open the scrolls. And as the lamb is sitting there on the throne, the lamb is Jesus, if you haven't connected that together, the lamb, Jesus, sitting on the throne, he's then given these bowls full of incense. And John tells us in uh, Revelation chapter five that the bowls of incense represent the prayers of the saints. So what that means is that in heaven, as even as we sit here right now, before the throne of God, there's a bowl of incense that has all of your prayers in it. And he's sitting there and he's looking at it and he hears it. That's the power of prayer. Not that we get what we want, but that God hears it. This is what scripture does for us. When Jesus was met with silence on that Good Friday on the cross, he guaranteed for us that we'll never have to know what that's like. That we'll never be abandoned, that we'll never be forsaken. And consider, like, consider that Easter Saturday. We talk about Good Friday a lot, it gets a lot of press. Easter Sunday gets a little too much press. Think about Easter Saturday, right? It's quiet. Jesus has died. He's in a hole in the wall with a rock put in front of it. Like he's dead. Everything that the disciples have put their hopes into, all the teachings, it's all laying dead over here in this cave. Mary's son dead in a cave. John's best friend dead in a cave. The silence, the worry, the desperation of the disciples hiding, a world torn asunder at the death of the only innocent man to ever live, creation helpless as it lies in darkness. And then the sun comes up. And then Jesus, his heart starts to beat. And then he takes a breath. And then the sun burns off the fog. And then Jesus is not dead. And neither are his plans for you. That's what Easter tells us. That's what the resurrection tells us that we can tap into that truth that in the throne room of heaven sits the gentle and lowly Jesus who tells us, as the writer of Hebrews said, to approach him boldly, that we might find grace and mercy in our time of need. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, I'm undone by this passage. undone that you are so merciful and gentle with us, that you hear our prayers. Uh, even when we don't know what to pray, your scripture tells us you hear our prayers, that the Holy Spirit groans for us and interprets our groans, turns them into words uh, when we don't have them. So Jesus, as we sit in our pain, give us grace. Uh, give us grace to, to, to believe and then give us grace for our unbelief. Jesus, as we sit in our pain and in our sadness, give us mercy uh, to deal with those well-meaning people who say a lot of dumb stuff. Jesus, let us sit with you, uh, the one who sees us, the one who is able, 
Uh, Lord, if, it, if it's your will, heal us. Heal us of all our sadness, heal us of all our brokenness. Lord, if it's not your will to do that, would you come quickly? Would you hasten your return? That we might be with you face to face and with you forever. And it's in your name we do pray, amen.